just the one with Barry and Chad. Barry, another week has flown by. It is here again, Sunday morning, because we've changed the way we do things here. I don't know. I just really liked last week recording on a Sunday morning and just getting it out really quickly. It was out on Wednesday. Uh, it's just an easier way to start the week, don't you think? Definitely. And it gives you an excuse also to sing some Maroon 5, Chad. Sunday morning <laughs> rain is falling. It's such a great time to record. I'm feeling fresh. I'm feeling enthusiastic and excited for episode 47. Yeah, and we've got quite a week today, everyone. So strap in for episode 47 of Across the Pond. Be our guest, be our guest. Put our podcast to the test. Be our guest, be our guest, be our guest. Well... Barry, we said we had a guest coming along this morning and uh, she's here. She's in our Zoom call. We have got Daisy uh, the Goat. We spoke about her last week on our, on our podcast and she's here with us. And uh, yeah, just looks, she looks really good this morning, don't you think? Oh, it's really good to have you here, Daisy. Thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. Let's give a bit of a bio to give a sense of who Daisy is, Chad. Chad is a mom to, I mean, what am I saying? Daisy <laughs> is a mom to two twins, to Lulu and Sebastian. Uh, she was banned from participating in goat yoga because she really loves human attention. And so apparently she was headbutting a bunch of other goats out the way, Chad. And we will get to that in a moment. Yeah. Um, but basically, she is a fully qualified scrum master and a Zoom aficionado. So welcome, Daisy. Welcome, Daisy. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, she's looking she's looking great this morning. I mean, the weather outside is, is not so great here in the UK. Um, but it looks like her spirits are still high. Uh, she looks very, very active. We can we can actually see the the two little ones there, um, really really uh, very cute. And she's actually sending us a, a bit of a chat as well. Um, so she's she's telling us that uh, that hay is is delicious. She's enjoying the hay, and she's actually quite focused on us this morning, don't you think? I think so. I think so. Oh, look at that love. Look at that love. Daisy. Daisy's probably our most affectionate guest so far on the podcast. Um, certainly has been certainly the furriest guest we've had so far. Um, and she looks like quite a strong woman, don't you think, Chad? I completely, completely agree. I mean, I'd, I'd love to ask Daisy a couple of questions, but... Um I don't know. Do you, do you think she's gonna gonna give us a, a few answers, maybe on the chat, or? I mean, maybe we can try. We can try. What do you think? Yeah, let's go for it. Um, Daisy, I know you enjoy hay. Hay's delicious. What, what are you up to this weekend? <laughs> napping. She's napping. Eating this hay, weekend. napping. Oh, I like it. I like it. That, that sounds like a good Sunday, Chad. A really, really good Sunday. And uh, I certainly would uh, would love a little afternoon nap later this afternoon. So that's great. As well. Yeah. I, I mean, I just can't believe how, how many. Trying to keep the kids under control as well. Well, you can you can see the little <laughs> ones there. Um, you know that looks like a lot of work, but they are so cute. Look at that, oh, Barry. Adorable man. Oh Absolutely man, adorable Daisy. You've outdone yourself. <laughs> that is incredible. Lulu and Sebastian. Oh, so great, so great. Don't you just love it when uh, when the pictures on the website when you're booking when you're booking something, Barry? When it actually matches what you get in real life. It's like when you go on an Airbnb and you, you book it. And, you know, Daisy is actually even cuter on, in real life than, than on her profile. I mean, I don't know. Have you had any of these kind of experiences on Tinder where you meet someone in real life and it's just not the right thing? It's so true, Chad. In, this, in today's world, everyone's putting filters on themselves, making them look a lot better than they are. Daisy is even better in real life. And uh, it really <laughs> is a pleasure to have her on the Zoom today. It's, it's awesome. Oh, amazing. Well, Daisy, I know she's got a lot of eating hay and napping to do for the rest of the weekend. Uh, so, so glad she could join us uh, for a few minutes here on Across the Pond. And 
yeah, I mean, have a good weekend, Daisy. Thanks for joining in. I, I know you probably have tons of Zoom calls to to carry on with with the rest of the of the weekend. And she's actually said here yeah, that we must always say no to catfishing, um, which which is an important thing to stand for, don't you think, Barry? Big words of wisdom. All of us need to make sure we are authentic, <laughs> vulnerable, and we are our yep. honest selves in front of the camera. And Daisy is is showing us how it's done. So fantastic role model, and we look forward to seeing Daisy in the future and seeing where she goes in her career, Chad. Absolutely. And if you ever want to get Daisy on, uh, to have a Zoom call with Daisy yourself, I know she's a very, very busy girl, but it, it's possible. Uh, we'll leave a link down below in our episode show notes and uh, you can have her on your next Zoom call. Do it. Um, it really, really is worth it. She's go to go, uh, which is hilarious. Uh, and yeah, that was Daisy, ladies and gentlemen. Let's move on to the week that was. The week that was. Well, that was quite a whirlwind, Barry, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> we've just recorded it. I don't know how it went. Do you think it's going to even be listenable to the audience? Chad, I hope so. <laughs> I, I, you were laughing at me earlier. I was so nervous about this interview. One of the most nerve-wracking <laughs> interviews I've ever done. Um, but hopefully a lot of fun. We certainly had some fun. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed listening to it and watching it. Yeah, hopefully it was enjoyable to listen to. Anyway, we've got some very serious things to chat about this week. And we, we didn't know how we can actually pivot from talking about Daisy the goat and just all that cuteness to some of the real stuff that's happening in this world this past week. And I guess we're just going to have to do it anyway. So Barry, we're talking today mostly in terms of the week that was about President Donald Trump in the US and what a tumultuous week that he has had. My gosh, we started off with one point on this podcast. And as this week has evolved, I've been adding an extra point, an extra point, an extra point. It's just been <laughs> so much to talk about, uh, all things related to Trump this week. Even more so than usual, Chad. Like, Trump is always in the news on a normal week, yep. right? But this week has been even more than that. And I think it's been dominating the headlines all around the world. And like you say, so there's a lot of Trump in this episode, but it is an important thing because America's politics, whether we like it or not, has a huge influence on the rest of the world yep. and how it works. And so we've kind of got to be abreast of this stuff. We've got to keep watching it. And also, it's almost like watching a car crash. You kind of can't take your head away from it, right? You can't ignore him because he's such yep. a personality, such a uh, polarizing figure figure and lots and lots of news from him this week yeah well let's get straight into it so let's talk about the first thing that i noted down at the beginning of the week um which is talking about trump's taxes barry so it basically came out there were, there were reports that essentially in the last few years he has not paid any tax at all in other words had kind of negative returns where you know he's had more losses than than profits um and in last year he's paid something like 750 dollars something like that negligible um, which I think came out as a big, big surprise to a lot of people. I, I saw a lot of messaging around uh, the average wages for people like street sweepers and the amount of taxes that they pay, all of that kind of thing. Um, Trump obviously dismissing this outright, saying that it's fake news in the uh, very Trump way, fake news. And uh, <laughs> yeah, essentially saying that, you know, he has been paying millions of dollars in taxes uh, in the last couple of years. So it really is hard to know here, especially when there's been these actual copies of returns uh, in this report, uh, which one is true? I really don't know what to make of it, Chad. Like you say, it's hard to know where the truth is, what the real numbers look like. Of course, there's lots of incentives on both sides to lie about these things, right? So try, an election is coming up, so sure. it's obviously a big bargaining chip and a big piece on the table at the moment. And it's very confusing as to what is really going on. Because even if it is true, 
there's still a debate to be had around like if it's doing it legally, then as a businessman, he has the right to do so, right? Yep. And so it's a weird, weird conversation because I mean, you'll know from our accounting days, Chad, we're talking about tax evasion versus tax avoidance. And yep. so many of these billionaires, so many of these ginormous businessmen have all of these capital assets that they can play with and move around and sell and take losses on and all that stuff to yep. bring down their, their tax every single year. And a lot of them do it. We've had sure. lots of stories on this podcast about big companies like Apple and Amazon doing exactly the same thing with their corporate taxes. And so in, in a world of in capitalism, in a world where you're trying to do what's best for you as an individual, like you're going to try and minimize your taxes as best you can. But the, but the optics of it, the way it looks is terrible, like you say, because the number is so low. He's, he's made a lot of money in his career, theoretically. And so it's, it's really, really hard to kind of figure out where we're going to stand on this issue and what the real truth is because it's so blurry. Absolutely. And especially when you, like you say, look at all of the kind of profits we would have expected him to have made throughout his career. And uh, you, you kind of do, you kind of wonder what those sorts of capital assets are big enough to offset from the rest of those profits that you know, we, we know him as a very successful businessman. We, we know, um, you know that he has you know, built an incredible sort of empire um, before he's gone into politics. And you know, the question of where all of those taxes are sitting um, is an important one for, for voters this time around. I mean, part of these reports also saying that he's got in excess of $400 million in debt. And I suppose a lot of people on the conspiracy side uh, saying potentially he needs another term um, to, to try and kind of avoid getting taken to court or avoid, uh, you know, being put in jail for this kind of stuff. Yeah, if you read any of the anti-Trumpers, that's their exact <laughs> line of argument. They will say that he's not a successful businessman and it's all a big story. It's all a big hoax. And he's built this brand for himself that he is successful. But behind the, scene, this, behind the scenes, things aren't going as well as we'd like. And so I think that is the thing where we have to figure out where the truth is. Because like you say, if he does need more time in office, which is a terrible reason yeah. to actually make up some of that debt, right? Sure. We've had lots of allegations of him kind of... Like I want to say corruption, but nefarious terms using his his power and his political power for his own personal gain, and there's been allegations made of that. And so at the moment, I don't think we have much evidence to go on other than some like half-hearted kind of secondhand reports. He is denying it, as you say, fake news, fake news, fake yeah. news, and it's so hard to know what the truth is here, Chad. But what this does do is, in my opinion, I think it does kind of harm him in the election because it is sure. it's yet another thing in his yet another thorn in his side yet another reason for us to doubt him and who he is and uh, for anything that loses him votes he can't be happy about that so the timing here yep. is a bit unfortunate yeah i think this whole week timing is absolutely crucial in all the things we're going to discuss uh, so let's then move on to the next one which is the presidential debate now this is part of u.s politics and due process i guess um, that there's, you know, before an election or, you know, before a president is elected, there are essentially three sets of debates um, between the two main contenders. And we've seen the ones in the past, uh, you know, it's been some really, really good uh, discussion. And uh, I guess a clear winner or, or leader kind of emerges out of, out of those uh, debates. Whereas in this case, um, I just watched a highlight package and, uh, you know, I couldn't believe my eyes. I thought I was tossed back into primary school where, where two people were kind of <laughs> trying to... I don't know, trying to talk about something, um, but just not letting each other speak. Constant interruptions. I, I didn't really see, uh, certainly in the highlights package, and maybe that was one-sided, but you, you watch the whole thing, Barry, so you can certainly uh, you know, let us know the full picture. Uh, but it didn't feel to me like there was a whole lot of actual substance debate going on in this first debate. 
Chad, it's it's. I don't think it's even possible to call it a debate. <laughs> it was like a reality show. It yep. was like two people shouting at each other across the couch and not giving each other time to speak, not listening yep. to each other. It wasn't a debate at all. And I don't understand why we don't why why they don't have actual debate rules. So like yep. in a debate, like a, a traditional debate, there's certain rules as to cool. This is how you hold yourself. This is how you argue for and against certain positions. And it's very very formal and very structured and hopefully gives both sides an opportunity to really like state their views. Yep. But in something like this, it's very, very, um, it's all about straw man arguments. It's all about calling each other names. It's all about like interrupting, like you say. And it's very, very hard to watch. Like I was mm. watching it and I'm not even American. And I was feeling very, very icky about it. So I cannot even imagine what it must feel like to be an American, one of 350 million people. And these are the two guys you're picking between. I mean, that's just horrible. Absolutely. Uh, it always happens this way, though. What is it that, uh, you know, the only actual contenders are ones that, you know, potentially those who leave a lot to be desired for. I mean, like you say, this is the world stage. This is ultimately the, the, the top of the top in terms of leadership globally. And, and this person is going to have so much power um, to not even be able to conduct themselves in a, a courteous manner, especially when it's televised. Um, it's just unbelievable, really. It really is. It really is. And something needs to change because I don't think these debates are actually doing any good. I watched the whole thing, Chad, and I came out of it with no further clue as to how Biden is going to improve America or how Trump's going to turn things around with COVID or any of those things. Yep. It just ended up being a, a, a shouting match. And what I found interesting was there were some calls on social media. I don't know if you saw them, Chad, but there were some calls for Joe Rogan to moderate a debate oh. and do like a four-hour podcast with the two of them, like very open-ended, very much like his long interviews because people think that might be able to pull out some more substance to give oh, them wow. lots of time to dig through ideas and kind of talk about things rather than the sound bites that you have to do in these sorts of debates so like this debate was like 90 minutes or so and each topic only gets say two or three minutes of, of time for you to actually speak about it and that's assuming that trump doesn't interrupt you <laughs> and so it's one of those things where there were calls for like a longer format a different format to try and pull some more substance out of these things and get a sense as to what these guys' actual plans are for the U.S. And not just like, we hate you, so we're going to argue against you. It's like, what are you actually going to do proactively? And I didn't see nearly enough of that in the debate. That's interesting, especially because we, we've spoken about Joe Rogan before and the fact that he has become such an icon, uh, the fact that people would suggest he be the kind of moderator on something so important, um, it really is kind of just a, a newer way of thinking about things. and. I completely agree. I think it would be possible in that kind of setting to potentially extract some more juice from something that is really important. And there's a reason why these debates are held. Exactly. And Trump actually agreed to it. He tweeted oh. out to Joe saying he's game. Biden didn't agree, of course. It's never going to happen. They're never going to put themselves in that position because yeah. there's too much to lose. There's too much to risk. But I think it's a great idea because those the reason Joe Rogan's conversations are so great is because they are so long, so open-ended that it really you could, it gets through all the nonsense. Mm. It like pierces through the veil of whatever image you're trying to show and it shows the real you because it's very hard to act a certain way for like four hours right sure. um and so it would have been very interesting but i don't think it's ever going to happen but um as far as i as far as i think these debates and the formats i don't think it helps at all chad like and it, it makes me a little bit sad to watch because this is theoretically the greatest democracy in the world and they're really not acting like it right now oh gosh what a joke to actually watch and i guess the, the, the next question on that was, well, let's see what the, the next two debates are going to hold. Maybe now that this kind of match has come out and uh, they've got it out their systems, maybe the next two would be a little bit more fruitful. 
And straight after all of those kinds of angles are, are mentioned, Trump and uh, the US First Lady, Melania, contracts COVID-19. Now, the timing of this, Barry, the timing of this for a president who's been plagued with his handling of this virus, I think more than 200,000 deaths in the US, and he now himself contracts this disease, clearly he hasn't got control of it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's the tragic irony of it. I think in the debate, he even made fun of Biden for wearing a mask at one stage. And so yeah. the kind of the, the things that have come out since then has just been horrific. And uh, obviously, we, we send our respects and our, our, our concerns for them. I mean, Trump is quite old, so I'm sure yeah. he's under some stress because of this COVID thing. But hopefully, this might just give a little bit of a, a perspective change, maybe. Uh, maybe I'm being over-optimistic, but maybe this gives him a sense of, hold on a minute, we haven't actually won this thing. This thing isn't over. And it can affect anybody. Um, I think we're going to find out in the next few weeks, like like how many people he came into contact with. Because if he was if he was carrying the virus for a couple of days, yep. I mean, he meets with so many people all the time. And so, how many of his inner circle, how many of the government, how many people he met with, even Biden at the debates, if if he had it during the debate, what has happened then? Yep. And so, I think a lot of the conversations are coming around that. And like you say, the timing is just terrible. Yeah. So I think for Trump, he's under a lot of pressure right now from all angles because the election is coming up and there's all these thorns in his side and COVID was the last thing he wanted. Yeah, absolutely. And from all of the reports that I've read, uh, Biden has tested negative. Um, so on that front, I guess that's one thing to note, Barry. Um, but you're right. In terms of all of the, the rest of the inner circle kind of thing, all of the, the senators, I've seen quite a few senators have actually tested positive. Uh, not sure whether that's related to, to Trump getting infected or that's just come through from another uh, kind of chain. But uh, but it is interesting, especially when you're looking at uh, the kind of power that this inner circle has and, and the kind of decisions that they need to make on a daily basis. Um, so really, really very interesting there. Timing, like you said, do we even see a second debate happen? Uh, is it going to be remote? Is the election going to be postponed? There's so many questions here and we really just don't know the answer. Yep. It is one of those things. Everyone's been talking about these mail-in ballots that have been highly controversial yep. because they don't want people queuing to go and vote. So there's been talk of the election being pushed back, but obviously Biden doesn't want that. Trump would love that if he could. Um, it's a very, very confusing time for American politics. And I think it's it's almost like a, a lose-lose situation. It doesn't feel like where is, the, where is the right thing to do? What is the right decision to make? It's very hard to see that right now. Yep. Um, and Trump Trump is, is one of those characters that is very, very polarizing. Of course, one of the, one of the strangest American presidents that ever had and so it just keeps getting crazier and crazier like Chad, i can't believe 2020 still keeps delivering <laughs> these sorts of stories right like i had this moment when i saw that he got the the virus and i'm like 2020 just keeps on hitting us again and again and again with these crazy crazy stories and it's only a matter of time until aliens arrive in my opinion <laughs> i mean that's that's next right that's next right oh man you, you're right i mean where could we go to from here we've literally had any inconceivable thing happened this year um, and it just keeps happening what is it is it about the year 2020 uh, as a kind of symbol or is it just just poor luck really who knows let's certainly hope that nothing more happens this year uh, let's just talk about that infection though because obviously we saw boris johnson contracting COVID as well early on in the year and i think that was at the heat of lockdown and and personally i think it affected the way that he Essentially, the measures that he, that he put through on, on society or in terms of the, the strengths of the lockdown, all that kind of stuff, he really got to understand the, the severity of, of the virus and it affected him in a bad way. Uh, Trump gets it within 24 hours. He's taken to hospital. I'm not going to say rushed to hospital because he was 
he, he did he kind of <laughs> walked onto the helicopter we we saw it taking a fairly short journey uh, to drop him off at the hospital and then he hopped into a car and etc cetera, etc cetera. um but you know when he was walking he was kind of holding the railings put out a message straight straight after he arrived at hospital which is obviously recorded uh, just before he left and in my mind that video he doesn't look too strong I mean, he's an old man, right? He's an old man, and he's, he's never been in great shape. So on a health perspective, I'm sure there's a concern. It's always hard to know in these things whether it's precautionary because it's the president to get him in hospital straight yeah. away or if it really is like real symptoms. And I don't think anyone's going to know that for a while until something comes out. And so it is concerning because he, isn't, he is in that age range that has really struggled in the virus and has really like seen the majority of the deaths. And so there are, there's a lot of concern, I think, in the U.S. and around the world about it. And it's... But because there's so much manipulation, so much fake news, so much yep. nonsense around the world, it's hard to know what is true, right? Like you can watch a video and you can interpret it a certain way, yep. but you can read another article that can interpret it a completely different way. And that's a very, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a no-win situation. And so I don't know what to make of it. I don't know how to feel about it. Um, I, I've been very upset with a lot of people who are calling for his death. I think that's oh, wow. completely untoward and, and, yeah. and very, very like against the kind of idea of democracy. No matter what you think about him as a person or as a politician, that's just a horrible thing to do. So I've been very upset to see a lot of that online. Yep. But beyond that, I think that we have to just wait and see and just wait and see what happens. I believe he's, ha he's got some crazy concoction of drugs and all sorts of yep. stuff that he's, that he's taking in order to try and get this right. And of course, the question is, is he taking that hydroxychloroquine that he was talking about throughout <laughs> his whole, 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 the whole lockdown? That's a big question to find out. Um, but it certainly is going to be a, a trying time for him. And for the country to try and figure out what is, how do we move forward from this? Assuming he recovers well and assuming maybe he changes his mind a little bit on how this, this yep. virus is going, will we see changes to his policies? Or is he going to do what Trump does best, which is just to ignore it, to spin it, to storytell around it, and just keep going on his path? Um, for, for some reason, I, I feel like Boris is a little bit more empathetic than Trump. And so I, I'm leaning a little bit towards the status quo with Trump, whereas Boris really did change his mind on a few things. Yeah. I completely agree. And there's a, there's a lot there, Barry. There's a lot there, especially the, the things that he's taking. So he's been given an experimental antibody cocktail, uh, which obviously has not <laughs> gone through approval. It hasn't got FDA approval as yet. As, I mean, I was reading a little bit on it, and I think it's gone through a couple of trials and shows positive signs, et cetera, et cetera. But to roll that out in, you know, America's number one man um, is, is quite quite a thing to do i think and uh you know to see whether it actually works or not whether there's any side effects certainly in the long term um obviously when you're grappling with something that is life-threatening sure you know it's good to kind of take chances but i don't know what to think about this yeah neither do i chad i think it's it's, it's one of those things where you don't want to be experimenting like that on your on your commander in chief um, and so I don't know what the thinking process is. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the FDA thing is just a maybe they know that it's going to get through and they just know right. it's a formality and maybe it's okay. Um, but maybe it's just Trump saying no, I want that in my veins and him <laughs> kind of taking advantage of that. But yeah, I don't know enough about the cocktail or about any of this biochemistry to give a real sense as to what the what the right thing is. Um, I would be very careful about experimenting though with your commander in chief. I think that if you get that wrong and something goes horribly wrong, which we don't want to happen and you, you're held responsible for that as an FDA or as a government or whatever, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Absolutely. Well, only time can tell. We're going to have to keep our eyes peeled on the news, but uh, I certainly, certainly don't think this is the end of it. Certainly as we lead up to the election, um, it's really going to be interesting to find out all of the answers to our loads of questions uh, in terms of how things are going to unfold. 
given the, the cards, really, that everyone has been dealt at this point in time. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just fascinated to see what actually happens uh, because this is already an unprecedented time already because the world is facing a pandemic. We've got global recessions happening, uh, you know, massive, massive balance to strike of economy versus uh, health of the general population. And then on top of that, you've got the election that falls in this time and, uh, you know, two candidates that leave a lot to be desired for. Um, and then on top of that, you've got uh, all of this as well. So going to definitely keep our eyes peeled for how this unfolds. Now, just moving slightly, kind of on the same topic, but moving just to the UK side, uh, where there's a pharmacy chain, Boots, very similar to what you would have as Diskim in South Africa, Barry. And they have run out of flu vaccines. Now, there was a report released this last week um, that essentially looked at getting flu and COVID together concurrently. And essentially looking at the mortality rate, if you have them two together at the same time. Obviously, as we're now approaching winter, that's quite a concern. And this report essentially releases that it doubles your mortality rate. You are 2.27 times more likely to die than if you had COVID alone and 5.92 times more likely to die than if you had neither the flu nor COVID. And so on the back of this, people have been rushing out to go and get those vaccines. And Boots has kind of temporarily run out and they're actually now not taking any appointments for anyone who is not over the age of 65. Um, so yeah, quite interesting, like we said, unprecedented times uh, on another front. Yeah, it really raises a very interesting discussion, Chad. I mean, we've been focusing all of our efforts, our supply chain, our money, our focus on this COVID vaccine thing and trying to get the COVID managed and the PPE and all that stuff to the extent that we are potentially ignoring other things yep. like flu vaccines, like a bunch of other things. I was on a call earlier today and we talking about a guy who's doing some malaria work in Ghana okay. and he was talking about all the money that goes to COVID is all very well to keep COVID at bay. But if it diverts attention and money mm. away from other things like malaria bed nets or like other medication that is very, very important, you might be able you might see the same amount of deaths or more deaths in another sphere of life. And so it's so difficult in this in, in today's world where the COVID is like obviously front of mind. Yep. But we have to be thinking more broader, like you say, that that sometimes the flu is as important because I mean, that, that's a huge, double the yep. mortality rate is, is quite significant. And so we can't just focus absolutely everything on one cause and hope everything else is going to take care of itself. And that's what makes these economic decisions so difficult. Like how much money do you pump into what things? How, how much focus do you put on these things? As Boots, how much should you be trying to get these flu vaccines in versus doing all the other thousands of things they're doing? Um, it's a very, very tough one. It really is. And especially when you've got labs who are trying to come up with essentially a vaccine and already some labs are producing these things at scale even though they haven't been approved because of the fact that if they get the green light they, they'll have quantities ready lined up ready to push out to the rest of the world um, and there are there's loads of, of labs that are pumping out for, for massive massive quantities they've got orders from governments around the world um, and so you're right does it detract from some of the rest of the stuff that we know has taken a lot of people out in the past I mean we look at graphs I've seen graphs in the UK um, where, you, where you look at essentially all the various different years and you can see a peak on a particular year because essentially the flu vaccine was not very effective in handling the strains that they had that year. Um, and so you're right, it's a very, very interesting uh, discussion and who knows, uh, I, I really just hope we get that balance right. Um, but certainly, certainly interesting that I can't go and get a flu jab. A lot of people have different opinions about flu jabs. Where do you stand on it? Uh, do you go every year? 
I don't, Chad. I've actually never, I've never had a flu vaccine, and okay. I don't have a good reason why I haven't or have. I've just, it's never really been front of mind. Yep. I've never really thought about it that seriously. But I know it is very polarizing. Some people think it's the greatest thing in the world. Some people yep. think it's a complete waste of time and money. Um, so, have you had it before? I have had it before. I think I've only had it twice, though. Funny enough, and I also, I kind of, I'm not sure what to believe. I've got friends who <laughs> are very, very, very opposed against it um, because essentially you're injecting your body with a kind of limited amount of the strain and it has to then build antibodies to it. Um, and obviously the vaccine is not going to catch every single strain. So you still have an opportunity of getting sick that winter. Um, so it's interesting. I, I don't know where I stand at the moment. Like I said, I've, I've had it in the past a few years ago, but since then I haven't. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I suppose we're always going to get sick at some point in time. Do we try to vaccinate for everything? I don't know. What do you think? I don't know, Chad. It, it, it obviously, like the, the next question that is obviously in our minds is when the COVID vaccine comes, yep. are you going to take that? And yep. I think I, I think I will. I yep. think I will. So I don't know why I feel differently about a flu vaccine to a COVID vaccine. <laughs> I think one of the things I did read is, is what you said is that there's so many different strains of flu and yep. they try their best to kind of identify what strains are most prevalent in this winter, yes. yep. but it doesn't mean you're going to catch it all. And so I don't know how effective it actually is. I've been very fortunate that I've never really gotten crazy sick that I've thought it's been super necessary like i've been able to deal with whatever i've gone through every winter um but it is one of those strange one of those strange things that vaccines have become politicized over time right they've become a, a talking point between politics between uh, morality between all these different conversations and uh, it makes it a bit blurry and a bit difficult to figure out what is the truth and what kind of decisions should i be making for myself and for my family yeah and especially when you when you look at a flu vaccine that i guess happens every year we kind of aware of the format and we kind of have an understanding of what it does um and you know i don't know of many sort of long-term side effects that come through from from flu vaccines certainly on a percentage basis i think there are definitely cases uh, that come out where you know people have really bad side effects i've heard of people losing their vision um all of that kind of stuff and that does happen on, on a kind of small percentage Whereas when it comes to something like the, the COVID vaccine, when that does come out, I don't know where I stand because there just is not a long enough time period in my mind, even if it is over the case of a year of trials. Is that long enough to know all of the potential possible side effects? Um, you know, it's really hard to, to know because ultimately we're looking for this golden bullet that's going to put this thing to an end and let us get back to life as normal. But ultimately, if we rush this thing a bit too much, we might miss something. Yeah, definitely. And we, we're operating with imperfect information. Yep. We, we don't have enough information to make an educated decision. And so we're going to look back on this time with hindsight and be like, oh, it was obvious, but it's, it's not obvious right now. It's, it's one of those things where we don't know what the right move is. And like you say, these vaccines that are being rushed through everywhere in the world, everyone's trying to get yep. it out as quickly as possible. That's, not the, that's not, the, not the way you want medicine to be done, right? We want it to take time. We want it to be really, really well tested. But in today, in, right now, when we need this desperately, they're going to rush things through. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know, Chad. It's going to be very interesting. When that first thing comes out, when that first vaccine is ready, everyone is going to have that moment where they're going to be like, okay, cool. Am I going left? Yep. Am I going right? Yep. And that's going to be a very personal decision and a very difficult one, I think. Very, very interesting. Barry, let's then move on to our next segment. Stuff I found interesting. Alrighty, stuff I found interesting. So last night I sent Barry a message literally with the essentially the progress bar and the picture of what I just finished watching and uh, basically just with a note Barry I've just finished watching it um, in other words heads up we're talking about this tomorrow and it's essentially <laughs> a documentary called The Social Dilemma on Netflix now I'm sure you've heard of it everyone is talking about it 
especially if you follow people on social media, a lot of people have even taken breaks from social media, big, big creators, because of this documentary. And essentially what it is, is a fairly up-to-date documentary, I'd say, on the current state of what social media is, uh, essentially how it has grown organically throughout society and some of the side effects that it is having. Um, talking about, you know, what was it intended to do and what is it actually doing now? Um, and I found it to be a, a pretty sobering watch, to be honest. I, I certainly, certainly thought about a few things uh, straight after watching it. But I'm going to be honest, Barry. There was nothing new on this documentary because in my discussions with you, we've covered so much of this before on this podcast. We've covered all of these key topics that this documentary hits um, but I still think it's really worth the watch just because of the the kind of depictions, the, the graphical illustrations of these concepts that we discuss. And uh, essentially, yeah, I, I think they're really quite gripping. The visualization of what the algorithm is actually doing behind the scenes. You've got this room of, of guys who are deciding what to throw at you to keep <laughs> your attention. Um, so anyway, I've given it a very, very poor introduction. Have you watched it, Barry? And what would you add to my introduction to kind of make it a little bit more sense for anyone who hasn't watched it? Yeah, Chad, there's so much here. There's so much here. Um, I haven't watched the documentary, okay. but I feel like I know exactly <laughs> what's in it because I've read lots and lots of reviews. And I've been a fan of Tristan Harris, who's the, the guy who made it for a long time. I've written, I've read everything he's, he's written. I've watched his TED Talks. I'm a huge yeah. fan of what he's been doing. And like you say... I have mixed opinions on this thing because to me, there's nothing new. Like you say, on, the, on this podcast, we've chatted about all these things about how the, the advertising model shapes manipulation and yep. how they like use dopamine to kind of uh, make you addicted to these social mm -hmm. media platforms and how these things can lead to radical extremes and addiction mm -hmm. and loneliness and depression and all these things that social media brings with it. And so there's nothing new in this documentary from my perspective, but I'm still blown away that there's so many people still finding this new. Yep. There's still such a large audience around the world who hasn't engaged with these ideas yet who hasn't kind of learned about what what is happening behind the scenes yep. and that's why this documentary is so powerful hopefully because it's on netflix and because it's being talked about all around the world it's a little bit of a wake-up call for everybody even outside of our circles and people who talk about these sorts of issues on a daily basis that your normal person on the street who just lives on facebook realizes hold on a minute maybe there's something to think about here and that's what I think this documentary does really, really yep. well. Like you say, it's very sobering. It, it's a little bit doomsday-ish. It's very much a, a very dramatic <laughs> kind of uh, interpretation of social media. And that's what's needed sometimes to break the pattern and kind of get through the, the noise. Um, and so I really appreciate what it's done in that respect. Yep. What where I, where I find it where I find it it doesn't do its job, Chad, is that it didn't give a nuanced version of what social media is good for. Right. Right. It comes across as a very, very much a, like Get off social media now. Delete all your accounts. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And I understand that intuition when we start talking about algorithmic bias, when we start talking about fairness, when we start talking about addiction. I get it. And I've had those moments where I've wanted to delete everything and kind of get off social media. But I think what these guys are doing is a little bit misleading because they are only showing one side of the story. Sure. And they're showing a side of the story that has been has been like banged on by AI ethicists for years now. It's it's certainly not new and they're making it sound like they are the great discoverers that have figured this out. Yeah. So I think a lot of the debates in the kind of communities that I operate in and, and the people I read and whatnot are talking about this thing that is, it's more nuanced than the documentary says, I think. I think that social media has, has been such a force for good when it comes to overthrowing dictators, when it comes to yeah. giving a people a voice, when it comes to democracy, when it comes to like improving the, the lifestyle and, and 
allowing you to find like-minded individuals and communities that you never would have found otherwise. I mean, what social media has been able to do for people who are in like non-first world countries or in cities that are maybe far away from where the where the stuff is happening is absolutely incredible. And so the point that I want to make is that social media is neutral. It's not evil, yep. right? And, and the documentary kind of makes it sound like it's evil. Social media itself is just a tool. It's just a tool that is used to communicate. And it's what we do with it that determines whether we're going to see good or bad results from it, right? And so I think it, it's very easy to point at Facebook and point at these guys and say, these are the reasons, these, these guys are evil, they're being malicious, they're trying to manipulate you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas we actually should be looking at our own behavior and trying to figure out, Am I using this tool in ways that are productive yep. and and make me happy? And we have all the we have all the power to to kind of turn off when we need to. We have the power to unfollow people we don't want to be following. We have the power to check our privacy settings and all that sort of thing. So what I don't want people to do is watch the documentary, feel nihilistic, feel like oh I can't do anything. They've got me under their their lock and key. They know exactly what my interests are. They know exactly how to feed me what makes me angry and upset, and then just like shut off completely because you're going to miss out on so much of the joy and so much of the power of this platform. It's, it's, it's neutral. It's not evil. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, especially, like I said, because I watched it last night, at least it's, it's top of mind. And they certainly didn't leave that element out, I feel, Barry. They did say there are very good things that it does. But certainly the overwhelming theme is the one that you touched on, um, that it is evil, that it is, <laughs> it is bad, et cetera, et cetera. Um, at the same point, it didn't really give any solutions, right? So it's very, very easily pointed at the problem. And uh, this particular guy worked at Google himself. I think all of the panel that was discussed all had pretty big positions at the major social networks. Um, and I suppose from that point of view, immediately it kind of gives a bit of credibility in your eyes as a viewer. They obviously do that for a very good reason. Um, but you're right, they, they don't exactly give you a solution. Um, and in terms of that tool bit, the analogy that he gave, which I found really interesting, uh, was talking about a bicycle. So when a bicycle was introduced into the world, no one thought, oh gosh, I'm now not spending time with my friends and family because of this bicycle. I'm now not you know, depressed. I'm not killing myself because he, he, they basically talk, spoke about all of the depression and suicide rates and, and how those have increased in various age groups over time. And I definitely think it's compelling. I definitely think it's something to consider, um, especially when we when we know about the side effects of, of social media, we know about us comparing ourselves to others. Um, and, you know, ultimately, self-image and, you know, mental health, we, we've realized, is, is key. Um, and, it, and it can take out a percentage of the population for what kind of gain. Um, but when you look at this bicycle analogy, a bicycle being a tool, when you want to use it, you get on the bicycle and you go where you want to go. Social media has become a little bit more than that. We've spoken about Facebook and how they ping notifications to you. It's become this needy second brother kind of thing. It just pings you notifications as much as you can, can think to try and, in my mind, keep you on the platform. Um, and so I understand the, the message, the key message here is that it started out with good intentions, but as always, when it comes to businesses and commercial operations, there's a need to monetize. There's shareholders, there's returns, profits, etc. And how do they get profits? Well, they get profits by keeping you on the platform, engaging you with as many adverts as possible. And so what they're not saying is that Facebook's aim is to make you an extremist. What they're saying is that they've given this power to an algorithm that has the ability to recommend things to you, which maybe its main aim is to keep you on the platform. And potentially Facebook has realized, or the algorithm itself has realized, that 
by doing this path of, you know, potentially converting someone to, into an extremist, it keeps people on the platform longer. And that's kind of the message that I took from it. Um, it's, it's just certainly that the design of this essentially model is to keep you there for as long as possible, is to get you addicted, is to, to look at the way that people design apps, slot machines, all the stuff that we've spoken about before, Barry. And I mean, in my own usage, I feel it. I can feel those moments where I'm distracted, got notifications pinging through. I know you're brutal with your notifications and straight after the, the documentary, I went and turned a whole lot of them off. Um, but yeah, lots to discuss here, Barry. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on all that? There's so much there, Chad. There's so much there. I think, I think what, you, what you're pointing at is an interesting debate and it's one that I, I find very fascinating to think about because I understand your intuition to think that way, that, that, that those algorithms are, are able to kind of convert us to extremism because yeah. they, they prey on that, that sensationalism, right? But there's another argument to be made that that those algorithms themselves don't know what extremism is. Sure, they don't know what outrage exactly. is. They are actually a reflection of humanity. Yep. They're a reflection of what we click on and what we care about and what we write and what we think. Yep. And so I'm not condoning Facebook by any stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of problems in that company. But I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the way these algorithms work. And people discount the fact that these things are just showing us a reflection of ourselves 100%. for the first time. Completely agree. And that is terrifying yeah. because it's, 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 it's something we've never had to explicitly face before mm -hmm. because we've had these conversations in closed circles. We've had these conversations in, in our homes, in our social situations without having it kind of broadcast to the whole world. So the moment these algorithms are showing us a mirror of ourselves and it's not a, a reflection that we like, yeah. it is terrifying and rightly so. But I think it's a mistake to then turn around and say it's the algorithm that's making us like yep. this because it, it just shifts responsibility. Yep. It shifts the blame to something else. Yep. We have to look at ourselves in a very self-reflective way and say social media is just showing us who we are in a more exaggerated state. Yep. Maybe the way we fix this is not by demolishing Facebook or getting rid of social media. It's by looking at our own usage and it's looking at the things we can do in our own lives to create the kind of communities that we want online. And so that's what makes it so difficult is because I, I understand the, the intuition to want to like, like get away from it all and kind yep. of cut ties and all that stuff. But I think it, it's, it's avoiding the hard work of dealing with our own humanity, both as individuals and as societies in, in general. And that's what makes yep. it so interesting for me is because it's a weird mix of psychology, philosophy, yep. economics, um, like all this stuff, biochemistry. That is, that is playing out in our day-to-day -day lives. I mean, the amount of time I spend on social media is disgusting, yeah. Chad. <laughs> and I know all of this stuff intellectually. Mm -hmm. Intellectually, I know all of this stuff. I've cut all the notifications. I've done all that I can. And I still find myself in this trap. Yep. And that's why it's so important to take this responsibility on ourselves and not let a documentary like this convince us that we have no power to change these things. Definitely. Yep. Because that, that's, that's what I'm worried about with these sorts of pieces of art. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And the way that I watched the documentary, what I took from it, agrees to everything that you said, Barry. Although it does paint it as a force for evil, I don't think they've kind of mentioned that the aim was that. Ultimately, you're right. The algorithm doesn't know what it's recommending as, you know, in terms of the nature of it. It's not doing it on purpose. It is ultimately just giving you stuff that it thinks you will like. And that's because you've given it an indicator that you will like that. And we've spoken about this before. We love these echo chambers. We only kind of look and watch and listen to things that we agree with. And it's a, it's a really, really stark kind of message to realize that. And when you mentioned it, 
the first time on this podcast, it was the first time I had ever really thought about that. If I think about even when I'm on YouTube, Barry, somebody says one thing I don't like, I'm straight on to the, ne- to the next video. I won't engage with it. I won't actually have a constructive, kind of open-ended, objective debate and listen to all points of the argument. And that's because it's very easy in social media to do that. We have the ability to change what's playing, to change the message of what we, we're being given. Um, and so I got all of that from it, Barry. But just in terms of understanding it as a tool and understanding that we have control over it, the one message that I got from it was social media currently is a pacifier for adults. When we feel lonely, when we feel depressed, when we feel anxious, when we feel whatever we're feeling, we don't internalize it and we don't deal with it. Instead, we go on social media and we look at something that's going to give us a hit of dopamine. And that is because of evolution and because of all of the, the social cues that we get from it. We look at the likes, we look at all that kind of stuff. Um, and from that point of view, I think it is constructive in that we need to see it that way and try to stop it. But even though we're aware of it, like you said, Barry, the one engineer who was from Pinterest, he worked there. He, his main goal was to get people to, to spend time on the app and he would find himself going home and doing the same thing. Um, so <laughs> it, it is a hard one. And, and ultimately, what's the solution? Spot on, Chad. That's completely right. And I think it's so difficult because it's ingrained in our human nature. Like the way they've been able to wrangle our psychology and wrangle the way our brain works to make these products like very, very addictive is is powerful. And it's a difficult conversation to have. And it's difficult to kind of break out of those habits. I think we've all tried these social media detoxes, which are amazing Mm -hmm. in the moment. But we find ourselves back to our old habits like this. And there's something wrong there. And so those are the conversations we need to be having. And that's why I'm glad there's documentaries like this that are starting to bring some of these ideas to the surface and get to the the roots of these issues. Because the root of these issues is our own humanity, our own psychology, and the way we think about ourselves. The fact that we can't be bored anymore is yep. is not good for us. Yep, agreed. The fact that even when you go to the bathroom, you're taking your phone with so you can scroll while you're on the toilet, yep. that's not good for us, right? We need to have moments of stillness in our life. We need to have moments where we don't have content going into our brain. We need to have moments where we can just think and be with ourselves. So much of the anxiety and the depression and the loneliness we're seeing in the modern day society is because we aren't comfortable by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We aren't comfortable just sitting, being a human being. We want to be every single moment of the day we're ingesting information. And so it really is a double-edged sword, all of this stuff. And again, moderation is the most important thing. We have to understand that too much of a good thing is not a good thing, right? Too much of a good thing can send you down some very, very dangerous paths. And the more you can be aware of your own behavior, the more you can be aware of how it's affecting you and the people around you, the better chance you have of making a change. So, so the thing is not to stick your head in the sand and say, cool, I'm just going to ignore everything. I'm going to delete all the apps. Yep. I'm going to go completely Buddhist monk on myself. It's not going to be sustainable. <laughs> Unfortunately, the world, is, the world has changed, right? The Things have moved on. You have to be able to be honest with yourself. You have to be able to look at your own time. How are you spending it? Like, how are notifications affecting you? How are Instagram filters affecting you? Understanding these bits and pieces is kind of the first step towards making changes in your life. And those changes are going to be difficult. It's that you're trying to break habits that are ingrained in your neural activity. You're trying to break that habit of picking up your phone 3,000 times a day. That is not going to happen overnight. And you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you're going to fail. But it's the only way forward is to actually talk about these things, to think about these things, because it'll make you a happier, more content human being if you can lessen your dependence on these platforms and actually just live a little bit more. That's it. That's exactly it. And we have become addicted. We have become dependent. 
some of us don't like to admit it. It's hard to admit. But if you think about it, and if you think about the prospect of not having access to your phone for a week, how, how would you cope with that? Um, I literally have it with me all of the time. It hasn't always been like this. A few generations ago, people didn't have this level of connectivity with them all of the time. Um, and certainly in those different generations, there were different types of uh, addiction and media has always been there, right? There's always been clickbait titles. They've just been in the press. They've been in newspapers. There's been TV channels that have been dedicated to trying to get you to spend time on the platform. It's all the same thing. It's just in a different package now. And I think that's why we need to talk about it. We need to look at what's happening and, and I suppose just think about our, our personal uh, usage. The one thing that I really did not like about this documentary, Barry, was right at the very end, the last few minutes, where it turns full-blown conspiracy. So there's kind of, <laughs> there's kind of a theme throughout it. You know, it's, 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 it's got this kind of theme, as all good documentaries do, to keep you in there, to keep you gripped. But at the end, it just goes a little bit too far in my mind, where they talk about, you know, what is the potential risk here? And ultimately, the experts say, well, within the next 20 years, if this all goes unabated, it could cause a civil war, and it is an existential threat to humanity. Thoughts? This whole, this whole world of existential threats has, has and, and the talking about it and the writing about it has kind of exploded over the last 10 or so years. A lot of people are talking about the potential nuclear war that could happen in the future or advanced artificial intelligence or pandemics or all of these existential threats. And it's become more and more part of the zeitgeist, especially with very smart people, because it is a very intellectually interesting idea, even though it's quite like dystopian. It's very interesting to think about what an existential risk actually is. And this is another example of that, of smart people, I think, getting carried away a little yeah. bit by the intellectual fascination of a sci-fi type dystopia. I have more faith in humanity than that. And maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm not, but I have more faith in humanity that I think we're on a pendulum. The way that I see it is that we're on a pendulum. We're learning about these platforms. These things are new, hey? Yeah. We forget how new these platforms exactly. actually are and how little we actually know about them right now. And so I think we are going on this pendulum. We're going to overcorrect. At some stage, as a society, we'll realize, hold on a minute, we've gone way too far, and things will right themselves again and into the opposite direction. And I think over a long enough time period, that's how life works. That's how the world moves forward, is we keep overcorrecting side to side, side to side. And so that's what I think is going to happen. I don't think it's an existential threat. Yeah. I do think it is concerning for the future of democracy. So I don't think it's understated to say that. Yeah. I think it is impacting democracies around the world. We've seen a lot of manipulation. We've seen a lot of like nefarious behavior around the world. Yeah. And I think that's a concern that I worry about. But I'm not worried about war. I'm not worried about existential threats. I think it's more important that we actually focus on ourselves and individuals than thinking too broad about those yeah. sorts of yeah. ideas. Yeah, agreed. 100% agreed. Um, and yeah, I just thought that was way, way too far to go. After doing such a good job of, of getting me to understand the kind of gra gravity of this, uh, to go that far, I think I should have left that out uh, personally because you know, <laughs> it was just too far. Um, the thing that I did find interesting straight after watching this, Barry, is after doing a bit of Googling, Facebook has actually provided an actual official response to this documentary, which clearly means that it's caused you know, quite a stir. A lot of people are talking about it um, and ultimately they felt the need to, to put, a, put together a response, a PDF document. Um, I've kind of jotted down some of the points here, Barry, and I think we can just quickly discuss a few of them. Um, so on the point of addiction, Facebook responds to say that they've changed the algorithm to show you meaningful interactions first at the top. 
So they're, they're not saying that, you know, they're not trying to keep you on the platform for as long as possible. What they're saying is, oh, well, they've prioritized the things that they think are important to you. Do you think that's a good enough response? I mean, it's, it's a non-response. Yeah. There's nothing in that response, right? It's, <laughs> that's what they've always done. Like their okay. whole job is to make an algorithm that prioritizes certain things over certain other things. So to, to say that they've now made changes that makes it even more meaningful, I mean, there's nothing there to, to respond to. Yeah. I don't think that's a, it's a, it's a good argument at all. Agreed. And to say that they've actually limited notifications, um, I thought was just cheeky. How can they put that into <laughs> a document where... Like the main reason I don't want to use Facebook anymore is because they send too many notifications. Honestly, it's ridiculous. If I log on to Facebook, I've got 30 notifications there that are just telling me what other people are doing. It's got nothing to do with me. And so for me, I am offended to see that in print released by Facebook. Yeah, uh, again, like it's it's lip service to these these concerns and these issues because the money that they make is tied to how much in interaction they can get and how much engagement they can get. Like you, I'm frustrated with Facebook. I mean, just across the pond Facebook page, Chad, it is such a clunky yeah. piece of software yeah. and it's got so much nonsense. It's such a mission to get a post Agreed. up. And yet the notifications will, like you say, will be about things that I have no interest in, yep. that are, but people I've never seen in years, but random things that I didn't sign up for. But yet the actual content that I sign up for, that I follow and that I like, I don't see that because they have to pay to, to reach me even though I've liked their page. So it's a very, very, like, it's, 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 it's horrible. And, yep. and that's one of the many reasons people are frustrated with Facebook. And one of the many reasons I think that Facebook is, is really struggling right now. I mean, obviously Instagram is still doing really well, but the actual, f the core Facebook product, it's really aged up. Yep. It's certainly our generation is moving very, very fast away from it. It's aged up completely to kind of my parents' generation yep. now. And even that, I don't think it, I don't think it has the same influence or power it used to have. And so, yeah, it, it, it doesn't ring true, this, this kind of statement from them. Yeah, I agree completely. The next point that they mentioned was, you are not the product. So in this documentary, it was very, very key that if you're not paying for something, normally you are the product. Um, and Facebook ret returns to say, no, you're not the product. Don't worry about that. Uh, ultimately, this platform <laughs> is funded by advertising. That is so that it remains free. Um, and they basically say, well, we anonymize the data that we allow advertisers to, to access, right? So they never know it's you. They never know it's actually Barry. But what they do know is that it is a 20, I don't know, eight or nine-year-old individual who's living in Johannesburg, who has friends in the certain age group, who is a male, who is this, who is that. Uh, they know quite a lot about you. And ultimately, you are the product, Barry. How can they get away from that? Don't you agree? Oh, Chad, it, it's, yeah, it, it's without a doubt you are the products and we have to understand that because we have to understand that our personal data, which we give away for free, has commercial value, has economic value. And that is a key, it's a key point that I want to, I, I'm busy working on some ideas um, for, for a paper in the future, hopefully, yeah. um, talking about this idea that our personal data we've given away for free because these products are, are fun yep. and, they, and they're really cool and they're addictive, but... The, these companies are making money off this data and they really are and you are the product so that, that's the whole thing yep. if I could pay for a Facebook or pay for a Twitter mm -hmm. and get rid of the advertising based model that would be an interesting way for them to go they could definitely do that yep. and okay. I think they could might have some success in that Agreed. because it will it would align the incentives to make sure that you and them are on the same page Agreed. but at the moment because it's free and because it's like you're just giving up all your information to them they, they basically have the right to do whatever you want and no one reads those privacy policies no one no. knows exactly what they do with that yep. data you are the product as the consumer you really are yep. 
like there really is we have to get away from this idea that every all content should be free we have to get away from that because it, it has such bad side effects okay. in the way that advertising model works I think we have to move to a world I and mean, I'm seeing a little bit of it with like paid newsletters and yep. Patreon and yep. those sorts of things where creators are getting paid for their content so that they can keep their incentives pure rather than kind of catering to whatever sponsors or whatever yep. advertisers they can get and so that's a, it's a recurring theme across the pond, and I think it's even more clear here, is that if you're using a product for free, you are the product. Yeah, I just thought that this response by Facebook was incredibly weak, and I've jotted a, quite a few other points to chat through, Barry. We can skip through them, because I know we're already uh, quite long on time. Uh, but the last one that I wanted to chat about, and I wanted to get your take on, was about misinformation. And ultimately, their statement there on that front being, we fight fake news, right? They spoke about essentially how they they have teams of people analyzing certain samples of, of data, essentially. And any content that is identified as false by this fact-checking partner, their partners that they have, it's labeled and downranked in the news feed, right? So that's, that's on one side of the coin. On the other side, they say misinformation that has the potential to contribute to imminent violence, physical harm, and voter suppression is removed outright including misinformation about COVID-19. And so for me, the, the interesting question here is, where do you draw the line between content that's ranked as false and misinformation that has the potential? And why does Facebook get to decide ultimately what they delete and what they rank down? Um, for me, anything that is false surely should be removed. Yeah, Chad, Chad it's, it's, oh, it's so difficult because Facebook are in a no-win situation here. What they, the task in front of them is an impossible task. Yep. Here's where we have a little bit of empathy for the company because the amount of content that is being generated on Facebook every single minute yep. is insane. And it is impossible to, to expect a company to catch absolutely everything, yep. right? And, and even with a combination of algorithms and human moderators, and they have hundreds of thousands of those, like the task that is ahead of them is impossible. You can have a debate about free speech for all you like, but this whole idea that Facebook is going to be able to like set some principles in place and then determine what is fake news, what is real, what is true, what is misleading, what is inciting violence, all of these various kind of things on the spectrum is an impossible job. For everyone who has criticized them, I've seen zero solutions as to how sure. do you actually solve this sure. problem, right? So it's one of those things where, again, it's, it comes down to us taking responsibility for fact-checking our own stuff yep. and for actually like looking deep into the things that we care about to understand what are valuable sources and what aren't. I, do, I don't think Facebook wanted to be in this position. They've yep. all be, Because of their power, because of their global influence, they've all, all of a sudden become editorial. The whole idea of Facebook was that it was just going to be a platform that anyone could post anything on. Yep. And because of the influence, because of the pressure from governments, because of the regulation that's coming down the pipe, they've had to become some sort of editorial team to make judgment calls on what is true and what isn't true, what is misleading and what isn't misleading. Yep. So I have a little bit of empathy here because I don't know how you do a job like that. I really don't. When you have hundreds of thousands and millions of posts going on every single day in hundreds of languages across the whole world at all times of day and night, it really is a very, very challenging task. And I applaud them for having a go and really trying to make a go of it. I think for me, I, we need to see regulation. We have to see government regulation come into play here and really try and put some guidelines in place so that companies know where their responsibility ends and starts. 
That's a whole debate, of course, as to where that responsibility is. But I think we need some sort of authority figure to come in and say, listen, this is what we expect from a platform like yours. This is the kind of things we expect. And then we can hold them to those standards. At the moment, trying to hold them to a standard that they're going to figure out exactly what's true and what's not across all of their content is ludicrous, in my opinion. Completely, completely agree. And that's, that's not really what my co- sort of concern on this was. Um, so I completely agree. It's out of control. It's not possible that they can actually manage this. We, we need to kind of internalize this and we need to fix it ourselves and ultimately as users check things before we rely on that information. What I'm saying though is that they've got a sample, they've got a team that's set aside to look at a sample of, of content, right? And within that content that they look at it, they either downrank it because it's false or they delete it altogether because it's misleading. And so for me, where do you draw the line between that two and, and should they actually be deciding a distinction between the two? Like if they've fact-checked it themselves and they've decided, well, this is false, surely it should just be, be deleted altogether, don't you think? Yeah, it's not black and white though, right? Yeah. Because there's, there's degrees of truth and, and truth is a very difficult thing to identify. You might have one claim in an article that is false, right. but if the article is, is, is sort of on the right track, then you might say you want to keep it up. Um, I don't see any issues with downranking and that's, that's what Facebook does yeah. is it ranks things. That's what all these platforms do. And so I don't see any issues with that. When it comes to free speech, I'm an advocate for it. So when it comes to deleting things, I, I would rather they don't right. unless it's like hate speech or and it's very, very serious. Um, so that, that 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 line is very blurry. It's mm-hmm. hard to know what should be downranked and what should be deleted. And again, I don't know what the right answer is. And I'm hesitant to kind of give them the reins to say, listen, this is what you should do. And, 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 and this is kind of go based on whatever your team thinks. Yeah. I'd much rather a regulator comes in and, and sets a rule for the industry so everyone knows what what the rules of the game are. At the moment, there's too many malicious actors who are manipulating the rules of the game and understand how the algorithm works, they understand how these fact checkers work, they understand how to get things through through the various channels, and that's where you get concerning uh, outcomes. Yep. And so, yeah, I don't know, Chad. I really don't know. Yeah, it's such an interesting debate uh, that we're having and all of these questions that no one ever would have thought would have even been posed um, because of the side effects of, of what we have at our fingertips these days. Well, Barry, we're running over. Let's move on to our next segment. Looking ahead. All right, so looking ahead this week, we're going to chat very briefly, Chad, about some security coming out from Amazon. So Amazon bought this this smart home device company called Ring a couple about a year or two ago, yep. I think. And Ring was the world leader in that, at that stage. And what they do is they put these amazing tech-enabled doorbells and, and smart locks and those sorts of things on your house so that you're able to kind of use the smart home and kind of take advantage of all the security settings you can do. You can be, you can be on the beach in Barbados and get a camera footage into your living room to see what's happening and make sure nothing nefarious is happening. Amazon and Ring are now pushing it one step further, and I think this is quite exciting. For, I don't know why, but it's, it's really interesting to me. They're going to have a little drone, Chad, that's going to sit in the corner of your room and say a motion detector gets set off, say they, 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 they track something or one of the other security devices picks up something, someone might be there. This drone is going to autonomously wake itself up Go up and do a predetermined route through your house, okay. giving you video footage of what's happening in your house direct to your phone. And so I just have this vision of this burglar going <laughs> into a house and then just seeing this black mirror type drone following him around the house, um, showing the video footage back to the owner. What do you think of that? I think it's amazing. Um, I love all of this type of tech. And of course, Barry, I own a Ring device. I own a, a camera, actually. There we go. Which I was using last week when I was in Italy, checking that everything's all good. 
in my living room, that same scenario that you were mentioning. Um, because <laughs> it, it is. They've been able to do it at such scale that it's actually become reasonable to own a device like this. Um, you know, they've been able to get the price of these types of electronics down, um, which I love. I love it when a you know, big tech giant comes in and actually lowers the price for the rest of the market. Um, this type of innovation is great. I love drones. Um, the fact that you can set up a predetermined <laughs> route, you know, that kind of addresses my, my first concern, which would be, well, how you know it's not going to knock into doors and stuff. Um, so if you set up this route, ultimately, um, I think it would definitely be a deterrent for anyone who, who is standing there uh, trying to break in. And I think it's a great answer, really. With these smart tech gadgets, a lot of the time you need to own, you know, not just one, but one in every room kind of thing, if you want that full coverage. Whereas here, you can actually maybe set something up just at one point of entry at your, your apartment. And if something is wrong, you can be able to see the, the whole apartment, uh, which, I, which I think is, is really cool. So I'm keen to see when it's going to be released. Is it still in early stages or are they planning to roll this out anytime soon? I think that they announced it at the latest event. I didn't give a date okay. as to when it's going to be in production. I think it is quite close, though, because they wouldn't announce it like they did if it wasn't close right. by. So I'm assuming in the next couple of months it might become available. I've got no idea what the cost is going to be. I've got no idea what the battery life is or any of that yep. sort of thing. I, I think it's quite a small drone. I think it's very, very like purpose-built just for this. So you're not going to be able to use it for your amazing <laughs> Greek holidays, I don't think. But for your security at your house, that's kind of yep. the way they're going. And I can see them doing... A kind of Apple move, like a surveillance as a service type product yep. going forward. Yep. I can see you paying a subscription for this drone service that's going to do exactly this and it's going to become part of your kind of security. And yep. so I'm excited to see where it goes. I wish we saw this kind of innovation here in South Africa. Yeah, At the moment, definitely. security software and stuff is still way too expensive definitely. here in South Africa. And we need it here much more than you guys need it over there. And so I would love to see some of that stuff this side, but for the moment, I'm just going to have live vicariously through you, Chad. Yeah, I completely agree. And they actually do that surveillance as a service a subscription to an extent at the moment so with the camera that i have i think it's called the stick up cam um, ultimately if you want to have this thing recording and the footage being saved to the cloud that you can access at any point in time uh, you pay an, a subscription on it it's quite negligible okay. um, but ultimately it could then be recording anytime there's movement it'll be recorded and it, you know it'll be there whereas if you don't have that service it'll basically ping your notification to say there's movement and you have to log in and and look at it look at it in real time kind of thing uh, but these cameras are really, really cool. I mean, there's features where you can actually, you can call your home and there's a microphone and a speaker in this camera itself. So if someone does come in, you can say, hey, what are you doing? Um, and, <laughs> and hear what they have to say back to you, which is, which is interesting. That's awesome, Chad. I can't wait for the voice to come out of the drone. Imagine you can follow <laughs> the guy in the drone and be shouting at him through the drone. That's going to be great. Oh man, that's definitely going to happen. I mean, if that's the feature in the, in the stick-up cam, well, that surely is going to be the one in the drone. And you're right, it's needed in South Africa. Um, certainly when you have outdoor spaces, I know you've got all sorts of beams, loads of people have beams installed in their house and all that kind of stuff. Imagine a drone pops out and uh, it comes flying around. And then imagine you, you take it to the next level, right? Imagine it's then linked up to the police service or, or something like that uh, if you know something is uh, untoward. Uh, so there's lots of potential here and uh, yeah, just a, a good space to watch out for some more innovation. I'm very excited indeed. Barry, should we move on to our next segment? Let's do it. Develop and grow. Develop and grow, probably our favorite section of our podcast. Ultimately, we always kind of fill up the time in all the various other sections. And then the one that we're actually really passionate about speaking on as well, <laughs> uh, we, we kind of leave to the end and we almost rush through it, which is unfortunate. 
Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll try and weight it a little bit equally, more equally in the future. So I wanted to talk today about um, essentially the trip that I took last week uh, to Italy. And the main reason for that trip was I was due to be getting married uh, that week in South Africa. Planned a, a great wedding with family and friends. It was supposed to be a wonderful occasion. And obviously due to COVID, uh, travel regulations, etc., large gatherings, it couldn't happen. And so the message I want to talk today about is, is don't forget the plans that COVID canceled. Do something else instead. Don't forget about them completely. But it's so easy to become complacent or Barry's word, nihilistic uh, <laughs> in the current times because we, we ultimately can't do anything, right? We, we are just so uh, beat down by, by the cards that we're being dealt. Um, and so if we could look at all the plans that we had and still keep our eye on the prize, still have hope, still look to them at a future date, do something else instead. Um, it's just that message of, of try to not forget about it. Try to not uh, just get in the state and, uh, and do something else instead. I thoroughly enjoyed our little trip to Italy. Obviously, it wasn't perfect. We had to wear masks. And obviously, it doesn't beat getting married, right? Um, but it was something else. And at least I can say we did something. It's such a good message, and I'm so glad you're bringing it up, Chad, because it's so important for all of us. We are all creatures of habit, yep. right? And over the last, over the whole of 2020, we've got habitualized to staying at home, mm -hmm. sitting on the couch, reading the news, like living a very different life than what we lived last year. And it's going to be difficult to transition back to normal life. It's going to be difficult to kind of think about what did I used to do with my time mm -hmm. on my weekends, right? What, what did I used to, how did I used to get out? What kind of exciting things did I plan and, and all that good stuff? And so as, as things start to ease and we start to manage this virus and things start to open up, like you say, we have to, be, we have to think about the fact that we don't have to live that hermit lifestyle anymore. Yep. We can get out and, and smell the fresh air. We can go and meet friends. We can go and do these things and get back to what made us who we were yep. in 2019 and before that. And that's such an important thing. And it's going to be difficult because we habitualize. It's much easier to say, I'm just going to sit and watch Netflix because that's what I've been doing for the last six yeah. months. But it takes a little bit of like, just a little bit of, oh, let me just, let me get back to who I was. And a, tri a trip like that is a great opportunity. Like, like you say, like a really, really terrible situation when your wedding doesn't happen the way you want it to. And you're able to turn that into something special, a different yeah. kind of memory. So yes, it's something I've been thinking about, Chad, and I need to start getting back into it. I need to start feeling like myself again. Yeah. And putting some of the some of the chaos of 2020 behind us, and kind of looking forward and rebuilding our social lives, even. Completely agree, Barry. Couldn't have said it better myself. Now, the last thing I wanted to chat about this week, and I already we've been so good, Barry. We've literally been hitting 59 <laughs> minutes, one hour, and a few seconds, 56 minutes. We've been so good. What happened today? It's the goat, Chad. It's got to be the goat. <laughs> Daisy threw us off our game, and that's I'm blaming Daisy. I'm blaming Daisy. Uh, well, I just want to talk about this one last thing, which is. A Skillshare class that I took by a guy by the name of Nathaniel Drew. Now, I've always seen these Skillshare adverts popping through on YouTube channels on all sorts of creators <laughs> that I've been following for so long. And I eventually decided, you know what, heck it. There's a two-month free trial. Let me sign up to this trial and, and check it out. And I've done two courses so far. Um, and I'll, I'll chat about it when I've done a few more. But let's talk about the specific one. Um, and ultimately, he's talking about being creative and it's basically kind of a, a toolkit if you'd like um, and the, there's a few points that I found really interesting so the first one is this idea of what do you have to offer the world I think it's so easy to look at what's out there and look at all of the various views angles there's always there's so much content and sometimes you, you think to yourself well what can I add extra if you look at all the podcasts a lot of people are like well why why must I create a podcast I've got nothing new to add 
Um, and his message is, you're completely wrong. You do. You are so unique, you don't understand because of the fact that you have this unique frame of reference. No one in the world has the same frame of reference as you. And that's a big message. And it, it really struck me because if you think about all of your experiences, your conversations, your relationships, your memories throughout your life, it's basically carved you into the person you are and you have got a different way of looking at things. You might not think that you do because obviously you've lived it, right? It's just you. It's normal. But to other people, you have so much to add. I found this just such a great way of looking at this type of question. I love it, Chad. I love it. And, and the way I think about it is that often we put pressure on ourselves to be creative and we say we have to come up with something original. Yeah. And we sit there and we're like, I don't have anything original to say. I, everything's already been said. Everything's been done. Everything's been written. Everything's been made. What, what, I don't have anything original. And it's trying to change your mindset to understand that nothing is actually original. Everything is inspired by other references. Definitely. Everything is inspired by the context and your background and who you are as a person. And so what we're not, we're not looking for original ideas. We're looking for original combinations of ideas. Yeah. So how can you take your context, your ideas, your passions, the personality that you are and something that you're interested in and make something cool out of that? Yeah. And there's infinite space for that. There's infinite space for creation. And the internet has proved that. Definitely. The internet has proved to us that we can, like, I mean, Chad, we have YouTubers and creators we follow that are very niche. <laughs> and if you looked at them, you're like, how is this guy <laughs> making a living from this? Because it's very, very small and very, very narrow yeah. and very focused on their personality or their thing. And they've made a, made a way to make it work. And that's what the internet does so well. It opens up opportunities for that. So for anyone trying to be creative, don't let like some idea that you have to be completely original get in the way of you making things. Everything is inspired by other things. Yeah. There's nothing that we think that just comes out of absolute thin yeah. air. What's more important is that you're speaking authentically, that you're speaking your truth, that you are talking about things you're excited about. And that by itself is of value. That is worth its weight in gold. And so I love this message and I, I want more people to be creative like this and just put things out there because it's so, so valuable yep. and it's made such a difference to my life. Yep. I want you to feel that feeling as well. 100% Barry. The next one is talking about limiting beliefs. A lot of the time we have these moments of passion, right? Where we, where we get into this creation zone and we just want to put things out. We just want to make things. We're excited. There's this uh, energy about us that just fills our whole body. And then we kind of get confronted by this hard wall, this internal belief that we have. I'm not this. I'm not this. I'm not that. There's too many people doing this already. It's saturated. There's that. There's that. All of these various limiting beliefs. And his kind of way of addressing this, I found quite refreshing. It's kind of something we've already spoken about it before. And it's, I suppose, indirectly journaling. But what it is, is write down all of those beliefs. Write them down on a piece of paper. Write them down objectively. Look at them. Obviously, it's not good to write negative things down, but write them down for the purpose of, the, of this exercise. Then look at it curiously. Look at what you've written down and put yourself in the voice of one of your friends. So I actually, for this exercise, I put Barry as that voice. And in a different color, I wrote down everything that he would have said to all of my limiting beliefs. And it was really refreshing. Uh, to to do it in that perspective and kind of put at ease all of the things that paralyze you from taking action. 
That's so cool. And I'm honored that you chose me <laughs> as your imaginary friend, Chad. That is awesome. I think, I think this is such a good exercise. And there's a very similar one by Tim Ferriss called Fear Setting. Right. So you can look that up as well as, a, as an alternative one. And in his exercise, you basically take a piece of paper and you divide it into three columns. And on the first column, like you say, you write down the fear, you write down the, the worry, the concern, what's, what's the anxiety is about. In the second column, you write down the absolute worst-case scenario. Okay. So you push it as far as it can go. So say, say your fear is starting a business. The worst-case scenario is that you go completely yep. broke. You're homeless on the street. You don't have food to eat. You make it as bad as possible. <laughs> you write that worst-case scenario out. And then in the third column, you look at that worst-case scenario and you write, what could I do to get from that worst-case scenario okay. back to where I am right now? And it just it's such a wonderful experience because it just reminds you that, hold on, the worst case scenario is not as bad as you think, mm. right? Mm. If you're going to make a podcast, you're going to make a business, you're going to do something, and it doesn't work out, you're not going to be homeless on the street, yeah. right? You're going you're gonna to be in a position where you, your pride's a little bit hurt, you maybe wasted a bit of time yeah. and money, but with some small actions and small mitigating factors, you can get back to where you were today. And so that fear-setting exercise is very similar to what you're explaining, Chad. And I think it's so powerful to, to write it down. Because when you write something down, you see it objectively. And it's not in your messy head anymore. It's right in front of you. And you can spot the bullshit. <laughs> you can spot the stuff that you're telling yourself that is not true. Yeah. Because you're writing it out and you're like, hold on. Now that I see it on paper, it's not as powerful as it was. Whereas with in the dark of your mind, and when you got that imposter syndrome is kind of mm -hmm. taking over you, it's very difficult to kind of see whether what's true and what's not. When it's on paper, like I've always said, writing it out shows you what you're actually thinking. And then you can be like, I'm actually being a bit silly yeah. here, you know? And, and that's what's so powerful about these exercises. Amazing. And thanks for adding an extra exercise there. That definitely sounds like one worth doing just to take it to the next level. Okay, the last thing, Barry, is something that we love to discuss, and that is being consistent. To get better at anything, you need to consistently create. If you look at uh, artists, painters, musicians, uh, in you know, back through history and look at the really, really successful ones, you will be able to find this common thread that each of them has created a heck of a lot of stuff. And not all of it, you know, hits right at the top and not all of it is the, the great success for them. Uh, but by churning out a lot of stuff, they get better ultimately. And, and that's the way to succeed. Now, we've spoken about this, we've spoken about the importance of consistency, but the key message that I found from this is setting your pace, your consistency pace. And a lot of the time, we set the pace too fast. So if you look at daily vloggers, you're trying to commit to doing a vlog every single day, you'll do it for 10 days and you'll love it and then stop altogether. And five years down the line, you would have not made any more vlogs. I see this happen quite a lot. Whereas if you set yourself a slow pace, so you say you say to yourself, well, I'm going to make a video every month, once a month. After five years time, you would have created a heck of a lot more than setting yourself your fast pace. So just be consistent. It's that same key message that we keep talk talking about, but it's okay to set yourself a slow pace. Look at what's realistic. Um, and ultimately that is going to be better for your improvement, for your creations, than, than going out too hard out of the gates. Spot on again. And I think it, it, it talks to this idea that your goals have to be small enough to make them super achievable yep. and super realistic. And then you build on that success. So small wins, when you get that, that slow growth right and you get that consistency, you start to feel better about yourself. And you start to feel like you can do this sustainably. Yep. So many of us in the motivation right at the beginning, we're so excited. We're like, 
I'm going to change my life <laughs> tomorrow and I'm going to go and do this and I'm New Year's resolution. We hit the gym in, in, in January yeah. and we say we're going to go to the gym seven times a week. We're going to get on the, the elliptical. We're going to get <laughs> under those weights and do all those things. But it's not realistic because it's too much of a change what we were doing previously. Yeah. We have to be strategic about how we tackle these goals. And this is a great reminder for all of us that consistency means consistency. It doesn't mean pace. It doesn't mean yeah. speed. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's consistency over a monthly period. That's still really, really powerful because it compounds over time. Yeah. And it's sustainable over a much longer period than sprinting in the first month and then realizing you're burnt out and you're not enjoying it anymore. Completely agree. What a great place to end yet another jam-packed episode of Across the Pond. Man, I could have still spoken for another hour or two, Barry, and some of the <laughs> topics that we discussed today. But we unfortunately do have to call it a day. Uh, just for the sanity of ourselves and the sanity of our listeners. I've had such a good one, haven't you? It's such a good episode, Chad. One of my favorites. I loved all the topics we chatted about. And I hope as a listener, as a viewer, I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope to see you again next week. Absolutely. As always, please subscribe to us on Twitter at Across underscore podcast, Instagram at Across the Pondcast, and Facebook at Across the Pond Podcast. That's all for today. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,